got kicked out of the Air Force for beating up a cop in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Became the black sheep of my family. I literally sat in one room while the family was talking about me in another room, making jokes about how I'd be in prison in a few years. I dropped out of college because they kept teaching me how to get a job, and I never saw that as an opportunity to go out and find real wealth and happiness because everybody that had a job seemed miserable after 20 years. And luckily, I stumbled into this weird thing called Amway, and I think it was actually called Quickstar at this time. And, oh my God, it was multi-level. You work 20 hours a day if you're trying to make two grand a month, by the way. You learn to sell or you starve, especially if you're trying to do only that. And, uh, but you know what? They had this really good system of books and tapes. Yeah. And it was, you know, the books are like business books that anybody would read. So I would just read their books every month and I would listen to their tapes. And some of it was motivation and some of it was just good business information. So I got into Amway, built a sizable business there. And uh, then one day I was pitching a guy on an Amway product and I was trying to get him to come be one of my distributors. And I'd hustle him every freaking week at a coffee shop. And he says, hey, dude, you know what? I'm, I'm a home flipper. I've got two houses right now that I'm about to buy. I only have the repair crews to do one of them. You take one, I'll take the other. And if you make more money doing this than you're making doing that, you never talk to me about this bullshit again. And I was like, huh, okay, cool. I don't have the money to buy a house, dude. And he was like, I'll loan you the money. Pay me 12% interest. I bought the house using his money. Yes. I'm not even sure what I was doing. I think I took a leap of faith because it was I was scared shitless. I sold it for 30 grand more two weeks later. Literally made 30 grand in two weeks. I'd never made more than 30 grand in a year before. Hello, dreamers and action takers. You just heard Preston Brown. He started from humble beginnings, but he is worth over $130 million today. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my guest today is Preston Brown. Preston lives in El Paso, Texas, and he is a true serial entrepreneur. For the past several years, Preston has acquired knowledge and expertise in the field of finance, business, and real estate. That has led him to grow his business exponentially. The knowledge he has obtained throughout the years have helped him develop a strong focus on on creating systems, creating formulas. And today in this episode, he's going to share with us his formulas for success that he has developed that anyone can use. But before we get started, Preston, it's great to have you on the show and would love to know a bit more about your your background. My, my background is starting businesses, scaling businesses, but more importantly, vertically and horizontally integrating companies. And you'll hear the words vertical integration. We've taken that to another level with vertical and horizontal integrations. And through that, through kind of the case study and study of my organizations and just what we've been able to do, I've been able to work out a formula for business. Every business, every industry, uh, yes. it, it all follows this one simple, easy formula. And actually, I just started blowing that up on social media in February and got 70,000 followers on TikTok. So apparently it's received so far. Yes. Isn't TikTok amazing? I'm having fun with it. I didn't even know what it was in January. And then all of a sudden, I I hired a social media guy to automate that stuff. And hey, you're blowing up. You have 30,000 followers. What are you talking about? I'm I'm eating pizza. He was like, you need to download this app. You're on it. I was like, oh, shit. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. So I'd love to know a bit more about the formula. So how does it work? The formula is simple. And I'll, I'll actually email you some documents. And anybody that wants these documents, message me on Instagram or 
whatever and all. Oh. So it, it's very simple. Every business has three goals, Sam, just three. Yep. Okay. There's four things you measure and there's six things you can change. Okay. Now a business, the three goals that it has are alignment, simplicity, and I call these the twin sisters of a thing called optimization. And the last one is foresight. And, and pardon the vulgarity here, but it always makes people remember it for some reason. Everybody thinks, oh, I need to look a year down the road or I look, need to look a mile down the map. That's bullshit. What you need to do is think of foresight a lot like foreskin. It's only about six inches ahead of you. So that, that's where you're looking. If you're driving, you're looking out the front window. You're not staring at a map a mile in front of you. What's going to kill you in business is what you don't see coming. It's the same as what's going to kill you in life. Yeah. And the twin sisters of optimization, the alignment and simplicity, I call them this because they're fickle mistresses. They are very interesting. What makes most business people amazing is they've been exceptional at something or other. And that's what got them into business. And so they've been rewarded for being exceptional. What happens every time you're exceptional? You're making an exception. And anytime you're making an exception, you are fucking up simplicity or alignment. So once you're building an organization and a team around delivery of a product, a service or whatever, You have to find a way to remove the exceptions. You have to get rid of them. I'm adjust this camera because I feel like we're looking at my forehead. But so you have to figure out how do I get more alignment, more simplicity while driving with foresight. And once you get these three to a 10 out of 10, if you're measuring them that way, man, you, you've got a company that is automated and sellable. Okay. Everybody's got this idea. Oh, I want to be an owner of a company. I want to grow it and scale it and sell it. Why would you want to sell it? If it's an asset, you don't sell it. You keep it. Exactly right. Yes. You know? And uh, those are the three goals. There's four things you measure, okay? And I look at these four things, like I look at four legs on a table, all right? Yeah. One is culture, one is clarity, one is capacity, one is cash. Yeah. Just to give you the table example, let's imagine this right here. It's just a notepad. Let's imagine this was a table, okay? And on this table, I'm going to set alignment, I'm going to set simplicity, and I'm going to set foresight, right? There's three things sitting on the table. Well, what if I had two legs? that were say three feet long and two legs that were one feet long. That's what I'm doing. So then all of a sudden I'm trying to pack everything back up on my table. This is how you become an operator of a business yes. is it's off balance. That table, like your surfboard businesses serve market, serve customers. Those four legs are what's balancing you in the market. So you have to, as the market's coming in and cutting off one of the legs, you have to extend that leg just a little bit or this side or the other. And the four legs you measure once again, culture, clarity, capacity, and cash. Yeah. People don't, think about this but the first four letters in the word culture what is it cult how do you build a cult you care about people yeah how do you sell something if you're in business you solve a problem for somebody the customer the employee the lender the vendor the trade the subcontractor and any other participant that's in a transactional environment which is business is doing one main thing looking for a certainty of success that is the one thing that we all have in common if the customer wants that the employee wants that the vendor wants that the lender wants that then, and you have the good culture and you realize the only time you're ever going to get paid in the business is if you solve a problem for somebody who's paying you to solve it, then what's the next step? If we want that culture to flow through and become a result called cash, we need to make sure we have massive clarity and adequate capacity to serve. Okay. Now, one of my favorite analogies uh, on problems is the Tony Robbins one where he's like, you have normal problems, abnormal problems and, and pathological problems. And that's probably the coolest explanation because he talks about the normal problem, a baby shitting their diaper. Abnormal problem would be like, you or me shitting our diaper. 
pathological problem, you and me shitting our diaper and saying, hey, it's cool, you should try it too. That's one of my favorite analogies. It's actually not the best analogy when you're looking at a business, okay? The best one I've heard is you always have two problems. You have the problem that is within your capacity. All of your problems are found in that, that, that one C, the capacity one. But then you have the problem that caused it, which is a lack of clarity and clarity, okay? Yeah. So anytime you have a capacity issue, you then go and find out, okay, what did I need to communicate? What did I need to automate? How can I increase clarity so I can better set expectations, so I can better deliver on that certainty of success that the customer, the vendor, employee, whoever was looking for? And, and so you sit there and you measure, all right, well, where was it in the chain of capacity? And it's only four flows, lead flow, problem flow, deal yeah. flow, and cash flow, or marketing process, sales process, delivery process, billing process, right? Exactly. And right. The last one is cash. And you measure yeah. your cash. It's one of my favorite measurements because if you're doing a good job, you're also getting paid. If you're doing a bad job, no one's getting paid. <laughs> then, and then the cool thing is when you're measuring these four things, trying to figure out how do I get to these three goals, there's only six things you can change. Sam, my wife in her makeup drawer has 150 things she can fucking change. It is so ridiculous. If she was like, go in there and get the mascara. A, I don't know what mascara is. Okay. But B, there's probably 10 different fucking mascaras. I'm going to be confused. Complexity is seductive, not productive. Productivity gets you paid. Seductivity gets you fucked. I want that in my marriage. I have no interest of that in my business. So in business, it's simpler than driving a car. There's six things, only six. There's not 150 dials. There's six. You could adjust price, product, people, place, promotion, or process. And process is my favorite one. I always mention it last because I saved the best for last, right? It's like I, I, I saved my wife for last. She was the last girl I dated. Now I'm going to keep dating her for the rest of my life. I saved the best one for last because she was a keeper. Yeah. Process yeah. is critical. You should underline it, highlight it, italicize it, bold it. Go grab some of that lipstick out of my wife's makeup drawer and kiss the part of the page that says process. Because this is where you add the additional clarity on those four C's to create an automated system. Every business that is truly an asset is a business that you've automated getting business, doing business, getting paid. You've just automated three things and then it's then you're free. You're done for the rest of your life. It's fucking solved. That's the formula, man. It's so simple. And everybody thinks, oh, there should be more to it. Why is it this simple? It's that simple because it just doesn't have to be hard. Like we think things are hard because, well, we get in relationships. If we're men, you're getting in a relationship with a woman. If you're a woman, you're getting a relationship with a man. And we're totally opposites. We're more different in, in our genders than than like cats are from dogs. And then you've got to try to figure it out. It's fucking complicated. So we're like, well, then every major pursuit should be complicated. Business is not. It's simple. It's easy. I built formulas for everything because I like simple. And so that was the formula for business. And I have not found a company it doesn't work in. Every company I've ever put it in, it works in amazingly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love. I've been taking notes while you've been um, saying because I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> I want to take this in. But you know how that there are six things you can change, but each thing you can change in multiple different ways. Like yes, product you can change, but you can change your product into a thousand different ways. And I think once again, I think if you follow the process, if you look at what the people are buying, if you look at what how they're responding to, of course, they could you could follow the same formula again on every step as well. I I feel like. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And you have to, if you're going to use the formula, there's certain caveats and you have to know your customer. You have to fall in love with the idea of data. Being a tech entrepreneur yourself, you understand the value of data. Data has in the last decade passed uh, oil in value on the New York Stock Exchange. Single most valuable thing on the planet. I mean, I don't hire measurers or managers for my companies. I hire measurers. Why? Because if you actually measure, if you get data, 
You can make good decisions. You can lead if you measure. But if you're trying to lead and you're not measuring, like everybody goes out there, I'm going to hire a manager. Why? With the presupposition that he's better than somebody else? Well, you've probably done some other stupid shit too. If you do that, go hire a measurer and they can actually make the decisions. But yeah, man. So anyway, pardon me. I rant for days on that formula. I love it. It's like my, you know, third or fourth greatest passion in life. Oh, that's great, man. That's really good. Did you... Yeah, you're you're really I can see you're really passionate about this and that you it is something that you have implemented in some of your own businesses. Do you have a practical example of where you implemented it and then what change it made? Sure, yeah. I bought a company that will be a three-year-old in October. And it is called Zia Homes. It's a home building company. We yep. started out and I picked it up from an owner. He actually wrote me a check to take the company. It was in that bad of shape. Okay. And we took over the firm and started looking at what he was producing, what the reviews were, what the data was, what the customer feedback was. And and let's just say he he wrote me a check to take the company. When I looked at all the data, I was like, I probably didn't ask for enough. Like I got paid to take the company and I felt like I should have gotten paid more because it was in rough shape. And the guy that sold it was a great guy. He just had a guy that probably shouldn't have been running it. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy didn't know what he was doing. He, he, he unfortunately put it into the ground. That company, we basically used this formula to go out and find data, alignment, simplicity, and foresight. We're like, okay, we need to align to the customer's needs. We need to yes. align to the customer's desires. Every business, every firm, they understand that there's riches in the niches if they're ever going to have any monocle of success. We had to go and find out, okay, who's buying homes that are specifically within this niche? And you know what we found? Almost no one. He was targeting a niche that really didn't exist and he was wondering why it wasn't selling. So we said, okay, well, I, and, and I took it just from a business standpoint. I was like, all right, what are the most profitable products out there? Who's making the most money? Okay. And anytime you measure a business, you're measuring, and I generally say nine points. There's nine points of measurement. Okay. You're measuring growth. You're measuring training of the teams and the leaders. You're measuring checks and balances. You're measuring leads, business coming in. You're measuring inventory and you're measuring leverage, the owner's time and capital position to where they can spend time improving their company rather than working in it as a slave to the company. And last, you're measuring product, people, and profit. So I went through an analysis on those nine points, and I said, okay, how do I align to the most profitable product that I could produce in volume? Because it was a production home building company. I didn't want to do custom. I wanted to do hundreds of homes a year and make huge margins. So I needed a, a system where I didn't have to meet every single customer. I could, at least in the beginning I did, but after that, I, I didn't want to have to. Yeah. How can I make a good margin, deliver massive value, create raving fans, and sell tons of products? How do I align to this? So I went out and I figured which customers were buying what. And I found a way to see that all of the amenities put in these really high-end, fancy custom homes didn't cost that much more. On average, about seven to eight grand more per house. Yeah. So if you look at a production house versus a custom house, the amenities were seven grand more. But the production house is normally a box on a box floor plan, whereas the yeah. custom house has huge amounts of land, large layouts, all this. So I was like, wait a minute, what if I took the custom quality design and finishes, put it in the production box model, which nobody was doing? And, and if you want to be successful in life, you have to have a contrarian idea and be right. And I just yes. looked at alignment to those customers. I wanted the customer that couldn't afford the custom home at a million bucks. Yeah, could pay four hundred thousand, and if my competitors were selling a house for three fifty, I'd be at four hundred fifty grand more. Spend seven eight grand more putting nice amenities into the product, and have an enormous margin by comparison. 
because I didn't really want to go get investors. I wanted my profits to be my investors. So I fell in love with the idea of making a large enough profit to fuel my growth with my own cash. Does oh, that that's amazing. Sense? That's really oh, yeah. good. And, and that's what this formula will do for you. So I looked at the alignment there and then I looked at the simplicity and I went out and I, I started saying, okay, who is the best? If we're measuring people, I found one builder had the best construction team. I found another builder had the best sales team. And then I found another builder had the best office team. Nobody had the best in all three. So I went out and I met with those people. And in some cases, I just hired the people away. In some cases, I duplicated the model that they had and improved on it a little. But I went out and I just measured. I measured using that formula. How do I create a simple product that it's easy to build for the foreman, easy to sell for the realtor, easy to buy for the buyer, easy to make a loan on for the lender. How do I create massive alignment where I can produce this product faster than anybody else, knowing exactly what the customer wants, having feedback loops coming in. And and here's an example of a feedback loop for Foresight. As a production home builder, you don't want to give them upgrades, but you really want to know what upgrades they want on the other hand. So So that you can put those in the next home that you build. (laughs) Exactly. So I built a feedback loop in an upgrade list. I said, what upgrades are easy to produce? I could raise the rock wall. Okay. Cost me about 300 bucks. I could sell it for about 15, 1800 bucks. You know, how about, I don't know, shutters. This is a plug-in. You have a little insert for the window. You can plug in shutters. You don't have to go and retrofit anything in the house to do that. And so I came up with a bunch of plug and play upgrades and I put it on a list and I gave every buyer $5,000 to choose from and overpriced the hell out of the upgrades. All of a sudden, Every buyer started spending 10 or 15, 5,000 I gave them and 10,000 on their own, even though I overpriced everything. So it became a huge profit center and it told me what the customers in the market wanted. So then once I'd look at those trends, every three months, I'd go and update my upgrades and add an item and it became more desirable and we became more fan-based. That's one example. That company this year is doing 220 homes and next year we're scheduled for 390 and it'll be a three-year-old and That's... we bought it and doing 30 homes. Yep. That's amazing, amazing progress. And look, everything you said makes sense because I always feel like buying a home is an extremely um, emotional decision, whether people admit it or not. They might say they're doing all the numbers or whatever, but it isn't very emotional. And when you see those things, you start to custom things, you start to picture yourself living that life using that tab opening, opening and closing the, the doorknobs, whatever it might be, the, the wherever you t- have that touch and feel sensation, you start to imagine that and then you buy in that home mentally <laughs> even before you have paid money for it. So it makes so much sense what you did really. How did you get started? Walk us through your journey. How did you get to the point you got? I got kicked out of the Air Force for beating up a cop in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Became the black sheep of my family and literally sat in <laughs> one room while the family was talking about me in another room making jokes about how I'd in prison in a few years. I dropped out of college because they kept teaching me how to get a job. And I never saw that as an opportunity to go out and find real wealth and happiness because everybody that had a job seemed miserable after 20 years. And luckily I stumbled into this weird thing called Amway. And I think it was actually called Quickstar at this time. And oh my God, it was multi-level. You work 20 hours a day if you're trying to make two grand a month, by the way. You learn to sell or you starve, especially if you're trying to do only that. And, uh, but you know what? They had this really good system of books and tapes. Yeah. And it was, you know, the books are like business books that anybody would read. So I would just read their books every month and I would listen to their tapes. And some of it was motivation and some of it was just good business information. Little simple advice survey your customers, find out why they didn't buy from you. You can go talk to the guy that did buy from you all day. You're not learning anything. 
Okay. You can learn how you screwed up and how you did well, maybe. But if you go find out why the guy didn't buy from you, and that, that was in one of their tapes. And it's, it's like home run. Oh my God, what a simple topic. Talk about the shit that people don't want to talk about. Yeah. If you want to be that, that knight in shining armor, you got to slay the dragon. You got to be willing to have the uncomfortable conversation. So I got into Amway, built a sizable business there. And then one day I was pitching a guy on an Amway product. And I was trying to get him to come be one of my distributors. And I'd hustle him every freaking week at a coffee shop. And he says, hey, dude, you know what? I'm, I'm a home flipper. I've got two houses right now that I'm about to buy. I only have the repair crews to do one of them. You take one, I'll take the other. And if you make more money doing this than you're making doing that, you never talk to me about this bullshit again. And I was like, huh, okay, cool. I don't have the money to buy a house, dude. And he was like, I'll loan you the money. Pay me 12% interest. I bought the house using his money. Yes. I'm not even sure what I was doing. I think I took a leap of faith because it was I was scared shitless. I sold yeah. it for 30 grand more two weeks later. Literally made 30 grand in two weeks. I'd never made more than 30 grand in a year before. And I was like, oh my God. So then I thought I was a genius, of course. I thought I'd stumbled onto something great. I went and did two more houses using other hard money lenders. And I lost the same 30 grand that I'd made. And I was like, you know what? I should probably go learn what I'm doing because I, I had enough of a clue to get lucky. And I went and got a mentor who was doing it, went to work for him for a few years, learned it, did it, um, became one of the best in the industry. And then, you know, there's more money out there than there are deals. I, I met a new mentor yeah. that had a significant amount of cash and he saw me flipping all these homes and he said, Hey, I'll put up the money and we'll split it. Well, I, yeah. I'm not stupid. I saw that, Hey, I could do two or three with my cash and hard money at a time, or I could do 30 with your money at a time and give you half. I would rather do 10 times more and, and keep yeah. half the profits than, and, and he and I built a beautiful friendship. He's still a mentor of mine to this day, even though he's approaching his eighties now. And every time that I'd find somewhere where there was uh, disorganization, like there was disorganization in the real estate industry. So I opened my own brokerage because I thought a lot of the agents out there were either full of shit, narcissistic or crooks. The property management industry, because I started keeping some homes. Yes. There was uh, a gal at a company and she wanted to bill me $800 to fix a toilet tank. And I was like, a new toilet, $60 at Lowe's right now. So either you're a crook or an idiot or both. I'm not sure which, but you're fired. And I, I partnered with a guy, teamed up and bought, you know, the majority share of his property management company and then blew it from 30 units to 600 units uh, oh, yeah. in three years. And, and we just, I just started adding companies where I saw problems. Anytime somebody tried to cheat me, I'd open a fucking company to solve the problem because I was like, somebody else must have been cheated too. And, yeah. and so then you open a company doing it. It turns out most companies don't do shit. They're either working for corporate shareholders who only understand the value of the dollar and, yeah. and don't understand the value of culture and heart yeah. coming from a heart-centered leadership position. Or you work for, for a company where the owner doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. They don't understand business. They, they've never gotten the education. And, and either way, like either way, it's a source of pain. Either way, it's either ignorance yeah. or stupidity. Ignorance is doing what you don't know is wrong and then you do it. And stupidity is doing what you do know is wrong and you still do it. And either way, in either of those areas, I was like, man, there's ignorance here, there's stupidity here. I'll open a business around this. And then I'd hire people and train them because I had common sense and, and, and I'd wind up with a company. And now I'm at like 13 companies and, and, and they're automated. I don't work for a living anymore. Now I spend my time coaching other people on business, having fun and calls like this, which I guess we're going to record and do a podcast with. And I'm totally new to podcast. So. That it is good fun. Yeah, really inspirational to see your journey, how you have gone from. And so many entrepreneurs I, I speak with, serial entrepreneurs, 
they have a very similar journey like you who did not want to who couldn't see themselves doing the same 9 to 5 for 30 years and then just fading away and just paying the mortgage and paying all the bills just working to just to pay the bills and paying the mortgage and that's what like most of the world does whether we believe it or not um it's, you it's you are mind blowing. <laughs> it's mind blowing like how many people are like i'm going to go work for 40 years and get a pension that won't even pay my fucking bills but i'm not going to give 10 years to entrepreneurship no way yet yeah. that all of our mothers told us to in a roundabout way all of our mothers hinted they were like hey think outside of the box honey think out- remember when your yeah. mom would say, think outside of the box So the presupposition there is if you're smart you think outside of the box. Maybe yeah. if you're not as smart or not as sharp, what if we built boxes for other people to think in? Wouldn't that yeah. be entrepreneurship? Would like Absolutely. You know, even God in her infinite wisdom said, "Make money, be fruitful and multiply." She didn't say earn money. Earning money is fucking slavery. Let's go out and make, let's create. We were made in the image of somebody higher than us. Let's go create. Like you don't become free by not creating wealth. And so many people get stuck there. I don't get it. I don't see how. I don't see where the common sense lies there. But exactly. Common. And when you when you create jobs for other people, you create products, services for everything for other. It's a win win for everyone, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. and you're, you're changing the world. Like you're lifting people up. You're creating something new. It's beautiful. It's compelling. It's fun. And last time I checked, none of us were going to make it out of this shit alive. Shouldn't we do something epic while we're here? Absolutely. I I love that. I need to frame that. <laughs> Do something epic. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. So what's next? Where do you see in 5 years time? Where do you see what do you see do yourself doing in say 5 years or what do you want to be doing in 5 years time? So I'm I'm designing that right now. I created a company during COVID on the recommendation of a friend who just wanted me to get into business with him and we opened a coaching and seminars business. and we're doing destination trips around the world and we're bringing out the best speakers on earth and teaching people and of course we did it during covid i'm the guy that opened a real estate brokerage in 2008 and then i launched a travel and coaching business in covid we've got 78 members paying us to coordinate all this and i've been having so much fun with that and yeah. just networking with all these entrepreneurs and leaders and doing that and you know i'm also at a stage where i just hit 39 i'm not quite 40 and uh, i've got a 3-year-old girl and a 5-year-old boy like i'm I'm having a ball. What's the difference between 50 million, a billion and a trillion? Is it the size of your jet island or something on that part? Yeah, who cares? Like exactly that certain wealth bracket. It's more who do I want to be? How do I want to give? How do I want to live? Who do I want to connect with? Who do I want to spend yeah. time with? How do I want to serve? Like I I just I you know, I come from a Christian background, but money is mentioned more times in the Bible than Jesus was. How have we not figured it out? Just the yeah. analogy. I want people to have that so they can get if you've got money problems you got life problems and you take these out of the way throw them out two hands for life problems. Yeah. How many marriages wouldn't wind up in divorce if they weren't struggling with money issues? You yeah, know? that's probably the number one issue in in marriages. <laughs> money. Yeah. How many children would have two parents that they had yeah. reporting relationships with? Do you realize what happened to parenting in our society? Nobody thinks about this. You want you want to know? because I've studied it. Economics, psychology, and history. Here's a little combined. World War II in the United States did something unique. It changed the dynamic of human behavior. Men went off to war. Women went to work. Yes. And then they found out they liked it. And then they never left. And that there's nothing wrong with that because women actually add an enormous contribution to the workspace. And they have this thing called diffused awareness. They can literally feel their environments. They make great management leaders and 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 they they have a feeling for working with other people they're they're great to work with but 
when you did that, when you doubled the labor market, if we understand the nature of supply and demand, if you double the supply of something, what happened to its value? Goes down. 50 years ago, a single earner in a family could support a family of four or five with a pension and a retirement fund. That's weird. Now you have two parents working two jobs each just to make financial ends meet and the kids don't have parenting. We're literally starting to see the first generation and the results therein where parenting was not what it used to be. And, and it's going to create some change and we're going to see some new ways that society is going to be engineered because of this. If you solve the money problem, how many people want to spend more time with their boss than their kids? Nobody. Yeah. I want to spend my, my kids. So what's my journey? I don't know. I think I want to help people solve the money issue. I want yeah. to go and grow in all the other areas of life that are important to me. And I, I want to play with my, my kids and my wife and my friends and my peers and all of the other people that are doing epic shit and go, you know, make this 80 to 150 years that I get to be on this rock, something pretty exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. You say that. <laughs> that that's very interesting. I have these um, three quick questions that I ask everyone. Is there a book that you are reading? You know, I'm, I'm, what book did I just read? It was Living in the Heart uh, by Drunvalo Melchizedek. And I may be slaughtering his name, but it was a, I just finished it actually yesterday. And it was a beautiful book. You want to talk about like heart centered and really understanding some of the energy that makes us up. Like, if you look at humans, there's four cores, right? You have faith, you have family, you have fitness, you have finance. In a business, culture, clarity, capacity, cash, and humans, faith, family, fitness, finance. If you look at those four cores, everybody's looking for progress. Progress equals happiness, right? Yes. What is the issue here? You ain't going to progress. You ain't going to go anywhere. Yeah. If they're maybe not the same thing, they are tethered to one another, no different than the fingers on your hand. So now where I used to read nothing but business books, I'm reading all the books about the other stuff. I want to improve my fitness. I want to improve my those things. So that book, if, if I know you're probably mostly a business podcast, but if you're looking at having kind of a heart centered and energy related business, I just think that was a really cool book. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll definitely check it out. The second question is, if you had to start all over again, say you're just out of the Air Force, you have the same knowledge, but no money, what would you do? If I was starting over again, just out of the Air Force, having yes. the same knowledge I did back then or having the same knowledge I do now? now. You have, oh, you have all uh, the knowledge, but no money. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'd, I'd find a problem. Every business gets paid for solving problems. I'd find a problem that was compelling to me. But you get all these business gurus and they're like, hey, you got to hustle your way to your success. You got to hustle your way to your success. It's such a fucking lie, Sam. It's so much bullshit. It's not even funny. That's complexity at its finest. Have you ever heard of somebody telling you, oh, you got to run the business? How long can you run before you get tired? A business of you drive that shit. You don't run it. You don't hustle your way to your success. You fall in love with a journey. You fall in love with a problem you solve. My walk, my wife walks into my bedroom in lingerie. I ain't got to hustle, Sam. I fuck, I'm right there. I'm up. You know why? Because hustle is effect. Passion is cause. I find a problem I was passionate about yeah. and I would fucking run to it. And I would go and I would start solving it. And I would be okay with the results I got having a baby problem. It's no different than having a child. Having a business is like having a child. You're going to change some diapers in the beginning. But once that thing grows up, once it gets strong, it's going to support you. It's going to take care of you. It's a beautiful vehicle. And that's your legacy. You know? yeah. My children's success will be my greatest legacy. But my second greatest legacies will be my business's success and all the people they helped and supported through their journey. Yeah, that's great. Finally, 
last question and that is do you have a ask are you looking for anything employees team members new businesses to acquire anything <laughs> do i have an ask no not really my my ask i guess if i had to come up with one is if you have an entrepreneurial spirit if you have an entrepreneurial heart once people become successful they give time treasure talent teachings etc and i'm at that stage now where i want to see people grow if you have an entrepreneurial spirit or heart and you're having an issue message me on instagram at the preston brown I would love to answer your questions, send you some documents and help you through it. I think that entrepreneurship is the single greatest path to freedom. There's no money I want for that shit. I don't have a financial ask. I would just love to see more entrepreneurs becoming successful. We've had a 70% decline in small business since the 1970s in this country. Really? Yes. 84% of businesses will never transition. And most small businesses now are owned by baby boomers, people in their 60s, people in their 70s. We're literally in a time where everybody's either going to wind up working for big business or the government. What does that mean? There's less supply. There's more demand. The greatest opportunity you've ever had is right fucking now. You can either buy a business and what's the easiest way to get wealth? Scale a company and sell it for a multiple. That's bigger than any real estate flip. That's bigger than any stock deal you're ever going to fucking do. Scale a company, sell it on a multiple. Okay? Look at the entire tech boom in the 90s. It's huge. Or do a startup. If you want to be an entrepreneur, if you are an entrepreneur, if you're looking for success and you're having something holding you up, call me. I'd love to figure out culture, clarity, capacity, cash. Where are you held back and how can we solve it like that? Yeah, that is fantastic. Look, it's been an eye-opening discussion with you. I've really enjoyed every single minute. What I'll do is I'm going to put all the links to all your social profiles in um, underneath the show notes, wherever this goes out on any on every platform so people can find you, connect with you and message you and get that help that they need. So thank you once again for um, giving me 45 minutes of your valuable time. Sam, thank you so much. Thanks for helping. Brendan told me, I've got to do these podcasts. If I want to get like this information out here and I want it to help people, I need to start doing these things. So thank you for supporting and, and, and giving me some of your time. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, no, that's great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.